the reading today is from Genesis 28. If you've got one of the church Bibles on the way in, that's on page 22. Genesis 28, starting at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Second reading is from Genesis 29. It's on the same page, starting at verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. 
and she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who's withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband with honor me, because I borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dina. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Well, thank you to Ben and to our musicians and uh, Pat and Dan for reading. Let's pray together. Our Father, our prayer over these next few Sundays in this particular portion of Genesis is simply this, that we would come to terms with grace. Help us not only to understand what that means, but we pray in every dimension of our hearts 
that we will come to terms with grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the section of Genesis we are in is the life of Jacob. We've seen God's promises of salvation worked out through successive generations, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. What is the purpose of this part of Genesis we are in? It's always a good question to ask as we go through a big book. This particular part of Genesis, what is its purpose? And let me suggest to us the purpose of this part of Genesis is to help us come to terms with grace. What does it mean to come to terms with grace? In the first place, it means, and this is when we become Christians, to come to terms with grace is to experience the conviction of sin that leads to repentance and faith in Jesus for salvation. And there in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart, which means a renewed mind, an awakened conscience, a new affection and a responsive will. Coming to terms with grace means becoming a Christian. But in the Christian life, and that's a long period of time for many of us, in the Christian life of an individual, and more importantly, and this is the emphasis in Genesis, in the Christian life of a church, the people of God, Coming to terms with grace means being, let me try and use a number of words to get at what this means, it means being impacted by grace or captivated by grace or changed by grace, humbled by grace, moved by grace in every part of our being. Now, in our minds, that means the depth of understanding. To understand God's love expressed to us as sinners, his undeserved mercy to save us. In our consciences, that are no longer seared or anesthetized to sin, but alive and active. And in our affections, to come to terms with grace is to come to terms with the extent of God's love for us, such that our love for Jesus becomes a greater love in us than any other love. Coming to terms with grace in our wills is coming to terms with the implications of grace for how we live. Now, none of that can happen unless the word of God is spoken rightly. Now, this is me reaching into where we've been on Sunday evenings. 2 Timothy has reminded us what rightly handling the word of truth means. It means simply bringing out what's there in the inspired text of Scripture, or even more simply, saying what it says, letting God's Word, speak, confident that when we do that, the Holy Spirit is active with that Word in us, changing us. 
And so to sharpen up our initial question, how does this part of God's word, Genesis, and more particularly this section of Genesis, help us come to terms with grace? Now here's a first for me, a diagram. Okay, have a look at the service sheet. And the reason I've done that is to try to give us just a sense of the structure or flow or arc of the narrative. And I think it's good for us to have that in mind. If you have a look at the diagram and the Bible, let me explain it. The section as a whole is from Genesis 28 verse 1 to 33 verse 20. And that section describes Jacob's 20-year exile from Canaan, the land of promise, to Haran, which is in Mesopotamia. And at 28.1 to 28.22, and we've already looked at this in our sermons, describes the journey from Canaan to Haran, and I've called that the outward flight. And then 32.1 to 33.20 describes the return journey back home to the land of promise, the return flight. And in between 29.1 to 31.55, Jacob's time in Haran. That's the second reading Dan was reading from that. And what happened during that time in Haran was bleak. You will not disagree with that, having listened to that reading. And I've summarized it, 29.1 to 31.55, simply as sin and the consequences of sin. And with that big chunk in the middle, there are two key events that bracket Jacob's time in Haran or Jacob's time in exile in Haran. Two key events that bracket it. The first we've already looked at, but Dan read again for us, is in 28.10.22. That first key event takes place on the way out of the land of promise. And the second key event is 32.22-32, and it takes place on the way back to the land of promise. And these two events, and if you were preaching through Genesis or studying through Genesis in your small group, and you were picking and choosing passages, you would definitely pick these two events. I suspect we would miss out the bit we're looking at today, though. These two events... Describe God's grace to Jacob. In both, God comes to Jacob. The direction of travel is God to him. That's significant. In the first event, the passage where Jacob sees this vision of a ladder, and God speaks to him, Jacob is not looking for God or to God, yet God comes to him. In the second, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks, Jacob is alone, afraid and despairing, and God comes to him. Now, Jay helped us understand the first event, the vision of the ladder with angels ascending and descending and the Lord standing above it. And what grace God showed to Jacob simply to show him that when he was not looking for God or to God. And what grace the Lord revealed in that vision that there is a way from earth to heaven opened up because God came from heaven to earth. And what grace the Lord spoke to Jacob. 
Listen again, they are some of the most marvelous and gracious words of promise and kindness from the Lord in the whole of the Bible. Let me just read a few verses from that first event. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie will give to you. Listen to this. Your offspring, Jacob, you will have children, and these children shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad, this is your children, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Something of extraordinary significance is going to come through your family line. And in you and your offspring shall all the nations, all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. These are wonderful, moving, and beautiful words. We would always preach on that. We never miss out that passage. There are numerous paintings that have been painted of that. Wonderful, moving, beautiful. And yet, as we have come to know Jacob entirely undeserved. In the second event in Genesis 32, 22 to 32, is when a man, an angel, wrestled with Jacob through the night. And again, there are all sorts of paintings of that scene. And we're talking physical wrestling and what is happening. And we'll see that in more detail when we get there in two weeks, is that God God's angel is wrestling with Jacob so that Jacob will at last yield to God's grace, accept it, stop living independently of God. And we might think that God is breaking Jacob, and so he is, but only to make him. Now, these are the two key events, the vision of the ladder and the God speaking directly to Jacob and God's angel wrestling with Jacob that he will yield to him. These are the two key events that bracket all this bit in the middle. The two key events are about God's grace. They are about God's undeserved mercy toward us as sinners. God coming down to Jacob. God coming down to us. God making extraordinary uh, promises. They're about love, kindness, And God wants us to come to terms with his grace because the day we come to terms with grace. Now, this, this can happen at some stage in the Christian life. It can happen for Christians after many years. They can be Christians without having fully and truly come to terms with uh, grace. The day we come to terms with grace, our lives can never be the same again. But we will not come to terms with grace and experience and truly understand these two events, the vision of the ladder and the voice of God and the wrestling match. We will not understand them unless 
we experience them in light of and alongside the stuff that comes between them. The sin and the consequences of sin. And so we need to stand alongside the different characters and their lives described in Genesis. And in particular, to stand alongside the original readers, the original hearers of Genesis. Now imagine the interest with which this account that we are reading here would have been studied when it was written about 500 years later by Moses following the exodus from Egypt. Think about it. All the 12 tribes were, were kind of journeying out of Egypt together. God had brought them out through these miraculous events. God had just led them through the ocean. And they'd seen this extraordinary power of God. And Moses has written up their history. And there they are in their equivalent of their small groups. And I'm sure they did the same as us. And imagine their interest as they learned about their origins, where they had come from, how it all started, where their tribes had come from, and the ways and purposes of God. And then they connected that into their own lives. Imagine the impact of that. And as the people of God today sitting here in this church, this local church family, part of the family of God that is the church of Jesus Christ, we are part of this. We are in this line of promises. These people in Genesis are our people. They are our forefathers. And so we reflect on what is written as reflecting on our own. And we see in their lives connections to our lives. God takes us through these chapters in Genesis that we might come to terms with his grace. Or God takes us through circumstances in our lives that we might come to terms with his grace. So let's do that. Let's trust God. Let's be praying over these coming weeks on Sundays and in our small groups and in the numerous conversations that ensue that we will individually and corporately truly come to terms with grace. Now, the way I've described this, and you'll see the heading in the service sheet, uh, learning about our origins, ourselves, and the grace of God. Now, what we read is a long, long way from the garden in Eden. God's intention for marriage from the first was monogamy. Jacob is a polygamist. Strictly speaking, it was not his fault and not his choice. But Jacob becomes a victim of behavior, especially from his uncle Laban, that mirrored his own behavior. And a very important observation as we read through this material is that everyone is both a victim and a perpetrator is sin. Everyone is hurt and damaged by sin. And everyone hurts and damages others through their sin. Laban had manipulated Jacob into 14 years of serving him. One of his wives, Leah, Jacob did not love. That's a better translation than hated. Did not love. And this unloved wife, Leah, had wickedly masqueraded as her sister Rachel, sleeping with Jacob and so becoming his wife, consummating 
that marriage. And then when Rachel, Jacob's true love, became his second wife, the antagonism and rivalry between the sisters was poisonous. The way they thought about each other and spoke about each other. Always remember, this is the people of God. We're not talking about nuclear families. This is the family of God. These are the fathers of our faith. And the primary way Leah and Rachel will get at one another is over their being able or not to have children. And the involvement of the respective maidservants, Zilpah, Leah's, and Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant. It is terrible, it is cruel, it is tragic, it is awful. This is the origins of the people of God. Imagine reading this after God had taken you through the sea miraculously. Have you heard about our origins? One father, two wives, four mothers, twelve sons. Now, remember the Lord's promise to Jacob following the earlier vision of the latter. Your offspring. How would you imagine that would be worked out? Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. One father, two wives, four mothers, twelve children. Surely not. Surely not people born in this way, born in this manner, born in such a dysfunctional family, in such sad uh, circumstances. And let me just jump to the conclusion. The conclusion is, if any of this causes you and I to reflect on the disorder and dysfunctional nature of our lives, and you harness all of that up, and you start, or perhaps for the first time, to think, how can this possibly be true that I am saved? And the answer is that we are coming to terms with grace. As these boys grew up and led their respective lives, there is a lot more disorder and sin and harm and sadness. This is the story of the origin of God's people. And think again of the people of God reading this after the Exodus, reading of where they had come from, reading of where they had come from alongside their experience of Exodus from slavery in Egypt. What can make sense of this? How can we come to terms with this? Or how can we come to terms with ourselves only by coming to terms with grace the undeserved love and mercy and kindness of God. Now, do you see exactly why the stuff in the middle of these two events in Genesis is so critical? Now, let's immerse ourselves in the detail. The narrative can be broken up into three sections. 29, 31 to 35, four children that Jacob has with Leah, and then 31 to 13, four children with Bilhah and Zilpah, the two maidservants, and 14 to 24 of chapter 30, Jacob's four children with Leah and Rachel. Let's take each in turn. Firstly, Jacob's four children with Leah, 29, 31 to 35. When the Lord saw 
but Leah was not loved. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction or my misery, for now my husband will love me. And we need to draw ourselves back from what is going on and see the most important thing is that despite the sin and polygamy of Jacob's marriage, the Lord was working out his purposes and keeping his promises. The Lord is kind to Leah. That is what the text says. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved and all that Leah desired was that Jacob would love her, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, he has given me the son also. And she called his name Simeon. And as she came to give birth to their third son, had she lost hope that Jacob would ever love her? Again, verse 34, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. She no longer seeks as much as love. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name will be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord here with the fourth child. She makes no plea for love nor attachment on the part of her husband. She simply praises the Lord and to her credit, with each son born to her and Jacob, she credits the Lord. It is his doing. She is thankful for her children and praises God. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing, stopped having children. The Lord was kind to Leah. This woman was not loved. And if Leah could have seen down the generations, she would have been astonished at how kind God was because her last two sons, Levi and Judah, would respectively father the priestly and the kingly tribes of Israel. Leah's blood would flow in the veins of Moses and Aaron and David and Jesus Christ, God's forever Messiah King. But remember that Leah was not just a victim. What she did to her sister Rachel on the night that should have been the consummation of her, Rachel's marriage to Jacob, was terrible, was wicked, and was cruel. Next, 31 to 13, Jacob's four children with Bilhah and Zilpah. Chapter 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied or became jealous of her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Such a, a, a moving and angst-ridden statement. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, I am in, am I in the place of God who has withheld you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Luke, Jacob, here is my servant. Sleep with her that I may have a child through her. So Jacob did it. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son and Rachel said, God has judged me. How what a misunderstanding that is. She says, God has vindicated me. She called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, this isn't God's assessment. Rachel said, let me give you a different translation, verse 8. I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won 
This is the origin of the people of God. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she stopped having children. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. She bore a son. And what did Leah say in verse 11? It's almost like a horoscope, so far removed from the purposes of God, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. There is nobody happy. And then Jacob's four children with Leah and Rachel, 30, 14 to 24, in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes. Now, Harry Potter fans, just want to gauge your reaction. And in service one, I said, you know, don't get confused with Harry Potter. And it was like a reaction such that everybody in that room had obviously watched the films. Mandrakes and Harry Potter. Well, now you know where she got this from. Have nothing to do with this. Okay, if you don't know anything about mandrakes and Harry Potter, that's great. Mandrakes in the ancient world were reputed to have properties that led to greater fertility. That's what they're doing here. And in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes and brought them to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter? Um, Or wasn't it enough? You've taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, "Uh, very well, go and sleep with him and give me the mandrakes. That just sets up some signals of what do you bargain for something in Genesis? Think of Esau. And when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, listen to what she said, God has given me my wages. God has rewarded me because I gave my servant to my husband. And every time God kept his promise and a child was born, the assessment that came back from the people involved must Well, God's heart can't be broken. You know what I mean? (laughs) And Leah conceived again and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And she said, God has presented me with a precious gift. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. She called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And then, verse 22, God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb enabled her to conceive. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son in the time he did, Benjamin. Every single person in this narrative is a victim of sin. Every And this is the people of God, remember. Every single person in this narrative is a victim of sin. And every single person in this narrative is a perpetrator of sin. It's a mess. A dysfunctional family, the dysfunctional family of God. 
How can the people of God come to terms with this as they read about their origins? How can we? Only by coming to terms with grace, the undeserved love, mercy, and kindness of God. Now, how could Jacob make sense of this? Where is Jacob in this whole narrative? It's almost like he's indifferent to what's going on around him. He's cold and his conscience is seared. He's insensitive. Jacob had a long way to go before he will finally come to terms with grace. What more will it take? The Lord will need to show Jacob that he keeps all his promises. The Lord will need to show Jacob not only that he will keep his promise to give him sons and offspring, but that he will be with Jacob wherever he goes and bring him back home. And it is only when he is on the journey home to the land of promise that the Lord wrestles with him and he finally comes to terms with God's grace. When we get to that, what happens is that he wrestles with him and he wrestles with him and he wrestles with him. And Jacob said, I will not let you go. And of course, he's being, he's being defeated by the angel. I will not let you go until you bless me. And then what God does is he breaks his hip. Why? Why? Saying to him, look, Jacob, I could take you out. Stop wrestling. Stop going your own way. Stop fighting against my promises. And what happens the next day? Jacob gets up and he's reconciled to his brother. It's grace. Grace vertically and grace horizontally. Now, as we close, a question and a name. The question, have we come to terms with grace? Now, one of the great things about uh, the motto uh, series, and there are good reasons for us not to be studying the same in our house groups as our Sundays. There's no rhyme or reason or rule of thumb. But one of the real benefits when we're in this kind of material is that We'll listen together today to God's word. We'll look at this again in our small groups. We'll talk about it. And God will gently and persuasively, by the power of his spirit, be helping us as a church to come to terms with grace as we read of our origins and try to make sense of it. How can we make sense of it? And as we see this stuff reflected in our lives, not to this extreme, but the sinful nature displayed here is a sinful nature. You and I share envy, rivalry, deceit in our actions and speech as the people of God. Let me ask myself and you these direct questions. How have you and I behaved towards God's people? What have you said about people in this church? What have I said about you? How do we speak of one another? 
Have we come to terms with grace? That we are not deserving of God's love and mercy and kindness, and yet he loves us and he is kind to us and he is merciful. And as a church family, have we come to terms with grace? Is it being reflected increasingly so in our corporate life? I think the answer to that is yes. And remember, it is a work in progress. Are we forgiving? Are we willing to receive forgiveness? Is Genesis bringing us to terms with grace? And the last word is given to a name, and that name is Joseph, the son who was an unjust victim, and yet who would forgive those who wronged him. Joseph, whose story in Genesis we will come to soon, points us to the Lord Jesus. Coming to terms with Jesus is coming to terms with grace. We are loved. Just amass all, everything you can about your sinful nature. You are loved. Amass everything you can about your sinful nature and you are an inheritor of a promise that we do not deserve. The day we come to terms with grace, our lives will never be the same again. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray for this simple thing over these coming weeks in Genesis, that you would help us come to terms with grace and to really understand in mind and conscience and will and loves just how much we are loved how kind you are to us, how gracious you have been and are to us, such that it moves us to live lives under grace and transformed by it. And if, Lord, what needs to happen is that you speak so clearly to us like you did to Jacob, that we see things and really grasp them. Or if you are taking us through circumstances of have done in our lives, or if indeed you are or will need to wrestle us to the ground, to break us, so to make us, we pray that you will do all of these things. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.